0: Trudging through this passage, and we have now gotten to what would seemingly be the end, and yet this is probably one of the most difficult ones because it immediately makes us uncomfortable more so than the thought of nakedness. Let's be honest, it's hard for us to talk about people who are in prison, it's hard for us to talk about having a relationship with people who are in prison because we are all very aware of the stigma of knowing someone who is in jail or in prison. How much harder must it be to have been someone in jail or in prison? And Jesus is unequivocal. This is what I am telling you to do. I am telling you to go places and visit those who are in prison. And it would be so easy if we could just go, well, hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, five out of six isn't bad. Is that enough to make you happy, Jesus? I suspect that Jesus would say, no. That we still have work to do. Because all of those who have made bad decisions, who have made bad choices and are now yielding the consequences of that, they do not deserve to be forgotten They do not deserve to be cut off from not only God's grace, but God's people who continue to pass along that grace through the way in which we love and care for one another. We didn't just baptize Keegan so that we could forget about him. I didn't have you read the response because it was really inconsequential as to whether or not you were actually going to follow through with doing all in your power to not only uphold him, but assist his family with raising him. I often think to myself, how many people who are in prison were baptized and then forgotten by the same congregations that promised, that swore and covenanted in God's house to uphold them. We bear a responsibility when we simply say the words that are on the screen or we simply say the words that are bold in the hymnal and we do not live up to them. God is counting on us to do everything in our power. Uh, Keegan has a wonderful family. I have no doubt that Keegan will be fine, better than fine. I know that they will ensure that he is loved. They've clearly done a fabulous job. But we need to help them. We need to ensure that we are doing all in our power to not only help sustain him, and he's very vocal about that, but also to make sure That when the day comes and Keegan has done something wrong and Keegan has broken our hearts or broken God's heart, that we don't cast him aside. That we embrace him and we remember that by grace he was baptized, by grace he lives. And so we will bathe him in grace and forgiveness when we recognize at his moment of deepest need that he find forgiveness and be set free. Now, when I was in seminary, I had the opportunity to take a January term class, and that's a very condensed class, but the days are very long in January term. And so one of the classes that I got to take was on the Ministry of Justice, and it was focusing on engaging our United States penal system from a Christian standpoint. Sounded like it was going to be fine until I got the reading list. And the reading list was abundant because I was shocked at how many Christian theologians and biblical scholars had written about the American penal system. I was shocked to see that this was a discourse that was clearly happening in Christian academia, and yet I didn't often find it happening in Sunday school or from the pulpit. And we do a disservice to that because Christ is clearly telling us that we have a work to do here. And we must respond to that in the appropriate way. So in this class, not only did I do an abundant amount of reading, but the end of it culminated in actually going into a prison, a woman's prison, in Clinton, New Jersey. And we couldn't just walk into the prison. We had to be prepared. We had to go through a little bit of training. We had to be told what we could wear and how we could style our hair. And we couldn't wear makeup and we couldn't wear all these jewelry. And there were all these things that they told us that we had to live by and do in order to go in and just see people. And when we got in there, we got to see the various levels of the prison system. We got to see the general population who were living in more of an open communal style. We got to see those who were in a more segregated housing where they had individual cells with locking doors. We got to talk with some of them. We got to talk to the administrators and the staff. And everybody seemed overwhelmingly exhausted. They seemed so tired and beaten down. They seemed as if they had been carrying this incredible burden and their shoulders were slumped and their heads were bowed. And it wasn't in prayer. It was in burden. Because it's exhausting to have to watch over somebody and constantly live in fear. And it's exhausting to live in a constant state of fear because you wonder how someone's going to punish you next. And that was the system in which they lived every single day. And I watched them struggle. And I watched them have no words for what it was that they wanted. And it wasn't just open the doors and set us all free. It was, I want the world to live by the words it said. That when I do my time, that I can be free. And yet we live in a world where the first thing we do when we hand you your freedom is stigmatize you. And Remember, you've done your time. And now every time you apply for a job, you will check a box that self-identifies you as a felon. And if you don't check this box, then when we find out that you should have checked this box, you're going to be penalized even more. And then they're put in an awful position of wondering, if I check the box, am I immediately discounted for this job that I desperately need? That is not the way of Jesus Christ. That is not the way of Christianity and grace and forgiveness and helping people step up and live a better life than the one that they had before. We have an opportunity, brothers and sisters, to start pushing back on a system that says, well, you can't really be forgiven, and no, you can't truly be free because we're going to shackle you with stigma and with legalism. Of all the things in the scriptures that I started to read about prison, prison appears 72 times in scripture, but not once does God command that we build one, not one. In fact, the first prison is referenced in Genesis when Joseph is sent there in Egypt. And he is sent there to languish and suffer. And there, even in the prison, God blesses him and is with him and for him. And he can serve God Almighty even there. But he was not meant to only serve God in prison, he was meant to bless others and then be free. And he does. I don't think he would have been second only to Pharaoh if he had to check a box. And yet Joseph did incredible things after coming out of prison. And yes, we could have the conversation of, well, he didn't really deserve to be in prison. But whether someone deserves to be in prison or not, do we not have jails and prisons full of people? And those are people that we will have to deal with, if not here, then in the kingdom to come. So we had better learn how to be in right relationship with them Now, because in this world, I refuse to baptize children and then say, there may come a day when I turn my back on you. I refuse to invite them into the fullness of the life of the church and say, I'm sorry, Keegan, that's only until you get a a criminal record. All of us are guilty. Is there one of us who's able to drive that hasn't done over 25 on Jarman's Cab? Are there any of us in our midst that haven't ever gone through a checkout and got home and then realized that you had something you didn't pay for and then said, well, technically it's the cashier's fault, so I'm keeping it? No, it's stealing. If you have it and didn't pay for it, it's stealing. Unless the chief executive at Macy's told you you could have it. It's stealing. And we salve our wounds and we say to ourselves, well, we're not felons. It's not really larceny because I didn't intend to do it. But is that not sin? Hurting things even when we don't intend to do it. And God doesn't stigmatize us. God doesn't say, no, you're forever ruined just because you didn't mean to say something that turned out to be hurtful and spiteful and hateful. Instead, God says, you made a mistake. And I need you to learn from your mistake and not do this again. And I'm setting you free to try. And we have to model that for each other. We have to model that for those who think because of this world, they can never be forgiven and free. And Christ said to us in human form that I came to set the captive free. And when God, who is so explicit throughout the scriptures, tells you precisely how to build and what to build, God says, you will build me a mobile tent ministry. You will build a tabernacle. And here is exactly how you will craft it. And here are the ramskins you will use. And here's the color of the thread. And don't give me a linen blend. I want pure linen for the curtains. And God says, here's the wood that you shall use. And here's how the spacing shall be. And I will even tell you what kinds of metal to use where. And then God says, you will use that same pattern when you build me the temple. And you will do these things exactly as I have told you to do them. And yet nowhere at any time does God ever turn to the people and say, you're in the promised land, it's time to build a penal system. Over and over in Scripture, when people go to jail, it's because outside cultures have imprisoned them. Not the culture of Jesus Christ or God Almighty. And if we go back and we look in in the Scriptures of all the people who end up in jail, it's not just Joseph. It's not. There are so many who end up in prison. And half the time they end up there because they're doing exactly what God told them to do, and that is preaching the gospel. Peter, Paul, so many of the apostles end up in prison. And they go there, and they suffer, and they languish, and they wait for the time when God will free them. Or they wait for the time when God will bring them liberation through another person. Even Jesus was imprisoned on the night of his betrayal. They took him and they locked him up in the cell in the high priest's house. Can you be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords if you have to check a box? And yet the prison experience did not define them. It does not define them because we who follow them choose not to let it define them we choose to let them be the glorious vessels of the gospel of Jesus Christ that God called them to be. We choose to read the scripture and gloss over that part because we know that they go on to glory and greatness. And if we are willing to do that for them, why can we not do it here and now? For all the sons and daughters of God who find themselves in this position. And yes, some of them did truly awful things things, but I can't hold them to a level to which God does not hold me. God says to me, for all of your petty sinfulness, for all the times before you were 18 that you were trespassing and loitering, I have forgiven you. And if God is willing to forgive me and cleanse my rap sheet, and just because I wasn't caught doesn't mean I didn't do it, then how can I not Turn to those people and say, you did a horrible thing. You made bad choices and bad decisions. But if you are telling me that you want to be forgiven and you want to start a new life, then I will be part of God's blessing to help you do it. Now, I have never been back to prison since then. I've never personally been in prison. I, Up until that point, had never met anybody that had been in prison, and no one in my close circle of family and friends had ever been there. But more and more ministry in the name of Jesus Christ means coming into contact with people who have been or are in prison. And more and more, I realize that I am being a hypocrite, even though it's very easy for me to say, well, Kairos ministry always happens on weekends and I'm slightly busy on Sundays. That's a cop-out. And that's not Christian. So in the middle of the last service, I declared very openly that next year I'm going to Kairos. Mary Alice is very excited about this, and she is going to take me and anyone who wants to go with me to prison. I don't know how the prison is going to feel about you bringing me in, but I'm willing to go, and I'm willing to go not because this really makes me comfortable or this really sounds like a great way to spend a Sunday, but because this is what Jesus Christ asks. And if Christ is asking me to do this one thing for him, and all that Christ has done for me, who am I to be an ungrateful biblical brat? Instead, I will put my money where my mouth is, and I will practice what I preach, and I hope that you will join me, that you will look for ways in which you can reach out to those who have been locked away, figuratively and literally, in the hopes that, not only will their crimes, but they themselves will be forgotten. And we will find ways to show them the same kind of love that you just showed to Keegan. That you would be willing to embrace them as a child of God as much as you will that beautiful baby boy. And show them that just because the world will forsake you, we shall not. For we are those who have not been forsaken. Despite our sinfulness and our failures, And the ways in which we still, even after stepping onto the path of discipleship, mess up and cause pain. And there are many ways in which we can do this. Some of you have already been busy baking cookies. It's a lot of cookies. Mary Alice said she will send pictures of 100 dozen cookies to us so that we can see just how much that is. I'm praying for a lot of pancreases that day. But I want us to look at other ways that we can actually put our name to being present with people. In the back, you'll find two poster boards where we are sending our messages and we are letting them know that we have not forgotten about them, we do not forsake them, and we want in every way possible to support and encourage them. And inside your bulletin, you'll find not only a step-by-step how you can do it, But you should have a colored strip in there. And this strip, you can decorate, you can fill it with your hopes and your dreams, your prayers, your edification, your challenges even, whatever it is. And then these will become just one of the symbols for our eternal God. And they will be linked up not only with others from here, from our church, but others from all around Virginia. And they will create a prayer of chain in the room where they go in and gather in Kairos Ministry to lead Bible studies, to pray, to have fellowship and food, and to remind them that they are not forgotten or forsaken. But instead, that there are Christians with names and faces and power and prayer who remember them and reach out to them in love and kindness, but most divinely, mercy. May this be part of what we seek to do in the days to come, So that it isn't just checking a box for us, but instead recalling that these who are the least of these are precisely whom Christ has sent us to bless and to do so in abundance. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast.